Hi, everyone. Welcome to, I guess, episode 21 of the podcast. I am not your host today. Your host is going to be Chad, my boyfriend, and he would like to do the introduction, um, but this is sort of the the pre-episode intro that I normally do. So I'll hand the mic over to him so that he can he can introduce me since I am the guest of this episode. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chad. Going on take four. <laughs> um, thanks for having me and thanks for doing this. You're normally just doing the editing and I know this is not your your uh, comfort zone exactly. It's all right. I'm going to try my best. Okay. That's all, that, that's all that counts. I know you have some questions for me that... I so kindly wrote. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So a little bit of a guide. So what yeah. we're, so first, we've talked or you've talked to your listeners about your initiative um, on the Cheyenne River Reservation with mm-hmm. your uh, running program that you'd like to get started. But what first got you interested in, um, you know, the conditions and people living on reservations in general? Yeah, that's a good question because I don't think that it's a common, necessarily a common thing that you hear, um, at least not every day. I guess I became truly interested and invested in the conditions of reservation life when I was an undergraduate. Um, One of my undergrad degrees is in health science with a focus on addiction and substance misuse. And I kept just seeing the same trends over and over in nationwide data, which was that indigenous populations were at the highest risk for a plethora of adverse stressors and risks, uh, including addiction, alcoholism, obesity, diabetes, suicide, um, infant mortality, domestic violence. And I, as a student, was sort of blown away by the data. And I just kept thinking to myself, why is this happening? Like, what are the social conditions or just the conditions in general that is leading to this disproportionate um, data that's coming out and why are we not doing something about it? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting because you don't hear a lot about it in general, just in the media as much as you you know hear about um, other things that are going on. No, it's so true. And I think that some of that does come back to the fact that reservations are sovereign sovereign nations. Um, And so there's some separation there and That is important, Um, but I also think that the conditions in which these people are living are unjust and unfair, and regardless of, you know, that separation, that government separation, I think that just in terms of humanity and um, just taking care of people, there needs to be more happening, especially considering the history that put um, these people where they are today. Right. So what is it that, what's your big idea? What's your idea for for how you can help those um, that are struggling on the reservation? You've talked a little bit about your running program, Mm -hmm. um, which is designed for specifically or focusing on girls and women. Um, So why running and why girls or women on the reservation? Right. And that's also a really good question. So glad that I wrote it down for you to ask me. Um, So the reasoning for that is not because I don't care about boys and men living on reservations. It's because I think that when you're looking at a problem that is so 
um, just so big and there's so much going on and it's so complex, you have to really narrow down what your skill set is as the person who wants to try to do something. And then you have to commit to just sort of staying in your lane. Um, and I say that not, not with the intention of sounding like I don't think that it's possible to tackle the larger issue, but right. I think that currently it's just really important that if, if you are looking to help that you, that you understand your role and you understand what benefit you can possibly play. And I am a woman myself. Um, and I, you know, have benefited from running in my own life in a way that has been really impactful and I would say therapeutic and cathartic. More than that, though, there are a lot of horrific statistics and information um, that shows that girls and women living on reservations are at such high risk for being victims of sex trafficking, um, domestic violence, sexual abuse. Um, I think a lot of people mm -hmm. have seen the movie, um, shoot, what's it called? I'm forgetting the name of it. The movie Wind River. Is that what it was? It's something like that. And I feel really bad that I'm, cause it's the name of, of a reservation, but basically the whole, ep the whole movie talks about the fact that there are these crimes being committed against women on reservations that are not being accurately recorded. They go unsolved. And when that happens, it kind of creates a precedent that it's acceptable. Right. And there are truly individuals who prey on girls and women on reservations because of this precedent that's been set. And not only that, but because of the social conditions and the history of abuse on reservations, there are a lot of girls and women who are not safe in their own homes. And it is such a, com it's so complex why that is. Um, and I don't necessarily want to try to break that down because I don't want to, I guess, make boys and men the problem um, because it's bigger than that. So even though oftentimes they are the ones who are the perpetrators, it's not necessarily, I guess I just don't want to like highlight that as being, you know, the big problem. Um, but I guess I just see a need for programming that is for girls and women only and is trauma sensitive and is, you know, culturally sensitive and is empowering and sort of takes all of that into consideration. Yeah. So how does your programming that you're coming up with, your running program, how is that different than um, some of the other um, girls running programs or other programming that's similar? How is it different mm -hmm. um, for, um, you know, specifically for this population? Yeah. So it's different because it is meant to be culturally sensitive and trauma-informed. So I'm working right now on my degree in clinical social work, and I've learned the importance of operating from a trauma-informed standpoint um, whenever you're working with populations that 
you can kind of make the general assumption that everyone you're working with has experienced some form of trauma, be it complex, be it, um, you know, catastrophic trauma, which would be more along the lines of PTSD, or even just, I mean, historical trauma, which you can say that every person living on a reservation is the victim of. Um, And so specifically how that looks with this program is so, okay, so an example, and not to, not to call this program out because I think it's an amazing program, but Girls on the Run um, is a nationwide girls running program that has so much evidence behind it at this point. They've done so many studies and research studies that show that girls who are a part of it benefit, you know, kind of across the spectrum, like self-esteem, um, their health improves, they're able to um, secure connections with their community and with their peers. And that's amazing. I mean, that's showing how positive running programming can be. However, not only are there no Girls on the Run programs that exist in the part of the United States where most of our most of our reservations exist, mm-hmm. um, the Girls on the Run programming is not designed to be specifically trauma-informed. And so right. it really just wouldn't work. It wouldn't fit. And so this new idea or initiative, one of the biggest pieces of it is addressing that trauma. So how is it how is it that this program is going to address that trauma? I mean, we know running is, you know, it's therapeutic, it makes you feel good, it's you know, it's empowering, we get the self-esteem and all that, but how is this program or initiative going to really dive into um, being therapeutic and that type of thing? Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of the the big question and that's one that I'm still working to answer. But my idea is that I'm going to make this program ARC informed. So there's a framework that has been developed. It actually comes out of the Trauma Research Center um, and was developed by um, researchers who study under Bessel van der Kolk, who is kind of the lead guy when it comes to trauma. And this framework I think is just a really amazing place to start. And I want to be clear, I am not certified or trained in ARC at this point, Mm -hmm. but my program idea is ARC informed, meaning that I used this framework to guide my planning of this program and I intend to become trained and certified. Um, Perfectly ethical for me to you know, use this ARC model as inspiration and a framework. In fact, it's probably about as ethical as I can get because it's coming from a trauma standpoint. Um, So ARC is an acronym, and it basically stands for um, a way to foster resilience through attachment, self-regulation, and competency. And those three, attachment, self-regulation, and competency, are the considered the domains of ARC. And then within those domains, there's 10 building blocks that all build on each other. And it takes into account the this idea that anytime you've experienced trauma, it impacts you on the developmental level, wherever you're at. So there mm-hmm. are certain behaviors and, and um, difficulties and issues that arrive, arise depending on 
when a child has experienced trauma, and then that sort of carries over into all areas of their life. Um, So I guess an example of that would be, um, so say that you have a five-year-old who's experienced complex trauma as well as traumatic events that could constitute as PTSD. That, That child, let's say that he experienced those traumas when he was two. So that child would have been a toddler and he would have been developing um, basically secure attachment with caregivers. Mm -hmm. And that happens for children across the board. It doesn't matter what culture, it does not matter what environment. That's just a part of like the natural, um, I guess, adaptation of a child. (laughs) So if he experiences a trauma, he or she, then that is going to probably show up in his attachment. And so he's going to develop an insecure attachment or an avoidant attachment style. And that's going to like visually um, come across in behaviors. So that five-year-old might, you know, not not be able to self-regulate because they never learned how to regulate themselves because they were not receiving the type of, you know, intervention and response from caregivers that helped him to learn how to self-regulate, right? Right. Um, So it's a complicated thing, but it's a framework that can be used to really dissect and piece apart what might be going on with an individual who's experienced trauma and then respond to them in a way that is not only sensitive, but also ultimately works to integrate that trauma and help them move forward in a way that is productive and resilient and competency-based. Right. So in a child's development, you know, whatever developmental stage they're at, Mm -hmm. you're saying that when they experience this trauma, whatever, whatever major developmentally developmental changes they're going through at that time, that's what's going to be affected. Yes, yes, 100%. And and then that's when you also start to see regression. Um, so, you know, a child who might have been developing typically and hitting all of their milestones up until a certain point, um, you know, they might start to exhibit behaviors that to the outside observer appear irrational or don't make any sense. But in reality, they're a direct sort of cause or um, a direct um, symptom of the trauma that they've experienced. It just doesn't really make sense because a lot of us don't understand what that trauma actually looks like. Right. So it would be important to know when the trauma occurred to really nail down what kind of their deficiencies are. Um, Yes and no. I think when you're working with this type of a population, it's more just important that you design all of your activities and interventions and responses around the idea or the general idea that these children, adolescents, adults have experienced trauma. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So for we know that, like I said, like running is therapeutic and run and running programming can, you know, be empowering and, and self-confidence, but... What is it that you think makes or what is it about this program that can 
that you think is going to help with their trauma? Yeah. Okay. So the best way to answer that question would be to give a little, like a brief overview of ideally what I would picture the program looking like in action. Okay. But also I'm going to start with my, I guess, another piece of this programming that is informed and inspired by a therapeutic protocol that's already in place that I am also not trained in (laughs) and that I am not making any claims of practicing. I will not be practicing this approach with clients. It's just informing and giving more, I guess, credit and evidence to what we already know about why activity is therapeutic and running can be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about EMDR which anyone who is not familiar with the acronym, um, it is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Psychotherapy. And this is a therapeutic approach that has been extensively researched and is proven effective for the treatment of trauma. So it's when EMDR is practiced by someone with a certification in a clinical setting, it is a set of standardized protocols that incorporates elements from many different treatment approaches. And it but like at the at the crux of it all, um, or at the heart of it all, it is a way of helping the person to take their traumatic memory or experience and then reprocess it in the frontal lobe. So we store trauma in our reptilian brain, which is the primitive part of our brain that we share with other animals. Right. And when we experience a trauma more often than not, it is stored in that part of our brain as more of a feeling, as more of a sort of like central nervous system response. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily, and almost always, we don't actually store it in a way that is, um, that like makes sense because we don't store it in in our frontal lobe. We don't take the time to piece it apart and rationalize it. And even, even, If we can talk about it with someone in a way that sounds like we've rationalized it, that doesn't change the fact that it's still stored in our in our amygdala. Um, So EMDR works to walk the client or the you know the person who's under partaking in this approach, walk them through the highlights of the experience or the set of experiences, and then through this eye movement process, which is basically Activity that generates a or um, anything that generates a flow of activity between the right and left side of the brain Mm -hmm. in a rapid sort of pattern succession, that process helps to kind of piece apart the experience and then store it in the part of our brain that helps us make sense of it. So in the frontal lobe. Um, and it's complex and there's still, you know, if you ask someone to say like, why exactly does this work? It's hard to narrow down all the exact, you know, pieces of it, but that's kind of a general overview. I probably just confused everybody. Again, I am not certified in EMDR. I plan on becoming so (laughs) at some point, but, but, um, it's definitely, it definitely guides, my thought process on why I think running is cathartic. And there's actually research that comes has 
has come out that says that running is that kind of same process of you're you're inspiring right and left brain activity and you're doing it in a way that is rapid enough that it can have the same therapeutic benefit if you're working through a trauma of some sort um i think it makes sense yeah so with this emdr what exactly are they doing with their eyes? Because I don't think you explained that very well. Well, so they're, they're looking back and forth, right to left. Are mm-hmm. they following like a light or something like that? Yeah, so that's the traditional approach. So you might have like a light, like a um, like a LED mm-hmm. bar, and then the light would go back and forth and back and forth and back so and forth. So they're constantly stimulating right brain, left brain, right exactly. Brain, left brain, which but is it, what running does. Exactly, but it works with little children, for example, who are not going to be able to follow a light like that, you can put buzzers in their hands mm-hmm. and the, and they've been created specifically for this therapeutic approach and, and, um, it just buzzes back and forth. Exactly. Okay. And it creates the exact same activity in the brain. Um, so taking that information and then applying it to how I envision this running program going. So there will be a curriculum that is designed around uh, cultural sensitivity, um, empowerment, and different skills that can be taught in very um, consumable, age-appropriate ways, sort of like Mm -hmm. a Girls on the Run program, but that, you know, of course, it's culturally sensitive. And then the the girls or the women will be walked through the process of using a running log or a diary to make connections between their emotions and their actions, and then also encouraged to engage in some of the conflicts they might be having while they're out on the run. And then coming back and using that training log that they're going to be given to process or walk through kind of some of the things that they felt and experienced while they were on the run. Yeah. Um, and I think that any of us out there who, who are runners, you know, I can explain this in scientific terms as much as, you know, as much as I want, but you know what I'm talking about when you go out for a run and you're working through something in your mind or, you know, you're going through a rough period of time, something has happened, um, maybe you're even feeling triggered by your own experiences. Maybe you are a victim of trauma of some sort and you are feeling triggered and you use a positive coping skill like going out for a run to sort of help you move or make a cognitive shift. I think most of us can say, oh yeah, like I know exactly that feeling of coming back from a run, a completely different person. I agree. And like that's, I think that's the great thing about this programming that you're putting together is there's a lot of pieces. um, You know, there's a lot of different things that these girls, women maybe need some support with, you know, uh, with their um, self-esteem with, you know, being empowered. And then you had the trauma and you had all these different things, but what's great about the running aspect of it is it kind of naturally covers all of those different bases. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we've all, and we've all been on a run with other people and you have conversations and, you, oh, yeah. and it's just something that kind of naturally happens. Um, and, and we kind of take kinda, it for granted. Right. Like I, that's what I think is interesting because until I thought about running through, I guess like an EMDR lens, I think I was just like, 
there's just something magical about running. It, right. it, you know, I've had my best conversations when I've been out on a run. I've worked through the hardest stuff I've ever been through when I've been out on a run. Um, well, it's I, just, yeah. it's magical, but it, it's actually more than magical. It's scientific. <laughs> right. right. Which, which I, which again, I think is great because it kind of explains, you know, this phenomenon of why, you know, running makes us feel so good and why, you know, most people who are runners in our running have, you know, positive experiences. Yeah. And so. I think it's one of the reasons why we become so hooked. Um, and I guess the hardest part about all of this is finding a way to, you know, articulate in like the program write up this idea that, or this certainty that I have that the girls who I can make believers, right? Like the girls who I can, I can, you know, reach out and I can ex- establish buy-in. I am certain that I won't even have to say anything about why we're doing what we're doing. You know, like I'm not going to go in and say, this is specifically for trauma. Like right. that's not going to be a conversation. Right. But I know because I experienced it myself that they will have that life-changing experience of feeling the benefit of that run, um, that empowering experience. And it also, it just connects us with our bodies in a way that is often lost when we've experienced a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this program is going to be great and I think you're going to have a great time, you know, putting it together and going through it this summer. What are some ways that our listeners can help you or help with this initiative? Sure. So coming soon, I'm going to have the program outline published on the website. I've been working on that, and um, I just recently talked about it with my my employers for the summer. I should re- mention them. Um, Simply Smiles is who I'll be working for this summer, and they're sort of the umbrella housing organization that is allowing me to implement this pilot running program, which I'm so thankful and grateful for. Um And so once we have the kinks all worked out, I'll have that available on the website for anyone who's interested because I'm sure that I confused a lot of people (laughs) with half of what I was saying and it's way more detailed and not as ADHD on the (laughs) website in the document. Um, as me talking about it, me trying to host a podcast (laughs) and me trying to answer questions. See, can you imagine if I did this all by myself? Yeah, that probably would have been. Would be such a mess. (laughs) Anyways, so that'll be available on the website for anyone who's like, oh, that sounds interesting and I get it, but I am having a hard time following this girl and I would really like to read about it in a Word document. It will be on the website. Perfect. Um, And then also because I have sort of gone through the steps of making this a uh, not entirely for profit organization. Any donations that are received will go right towards that running program initiative. So that link will be available um, probably today, actually. And donations are so needed. Um, I've already received some donations going forward. And Wazelle actually recently... um, accepted our request for running bras for all the girls, which is amazing. Yeah, and when you told me that the other day, I was like, I didn't even think, like, these girls have nothing. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? They're, they're not going to have running 
clothes. They're not going to have shoes and things like that. So mm-hmm. any support right. and is going to be ex- awesome. Exactly. Support. Um, I mean, honestly, there's there's so many ways that that this program initiative can be supported. Um, I just recently did a interview with Aaron Taylor, who's the founder of um, Jazz Yoga and Athletes for Yoga. And we were talking about how I want to incorporate some trauma-sensitive yoga into into the program, um, which is a certification that I will have <laughs> soon. Um, All the certifications. Yeah, this is the know. thing. There's so many certifications, and I totally get it. You've got to have certifications, but just the clarifier. Right. Don't have the certifications yet, working towards one of them, planning on getting the other two at some point. One day you'll have all the certifications. Yes, all of them. Um, so, but anyways, we were talking about about that protocol, and she was like, oh, you know, if you need some, you know, help on kind of an overview of different things that you're thinking about, that would be awesome. And that's an example of a way of supporting the program that right. is really simple, but I was so grateful for. Um, so yeah, so right now it's donations and, you know, if like, like Wazelle specifically with the running bras, um, I know that there are two grants that I'm applying for that I hope will give us the funding that we need for running shoes. That's huge. And honestly, I don't know how I'll be able to implement this program with peace of mind without giving the girls running shoes that they could wear. Right. Um, Cause I don't want anyone getting injured. And then Timex watches and you know, all the stuff that we kind of take for granted. Right. Yeah. yeah. That we can just go out and grab, but they have, they don't have it. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is that if I can secure those sort of extras that really aren't extras, um, Hopefully, I'll be giving these girls something or a tool they can use going forward, even after, you know, I'm gone. So, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome, yeah. All right, so um, <laughs> I think we've covered the initiative. Yeah, so and... now we have to do an update on me. Yeah. So the next question you wrote down for me. <laughs> okay. So what is, uh, what's going on with you lately? <laughs> okay. So we've got. That's uh, the general topic. Oh. You can ask me questions. You know about this because you're my coach. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you inform our listeners, your listeners, mm-hmm. um, about what's going on with your training right now. There was a marathon. There is a marathon plan. There was a marathon <laughs> plan. What's going on with you? Okay. Well, I've been training for a marathon probably a since, ago. yeah, yeah, a really long time. Anyone who's not familiar, I am a former Division Three runner, was very competitive, did not run in high school, ran in college, experienced a lot of injuries, a lot, that sidelined me and were frustrating because they definitely got in the way of me feeling like I got, you know, got everything out of myself that I wanted to running-wise. And I graduated feeling really motivated to continue running and training because I just felt like I hadn't reached my potential yet. And I moved to Illinois for grad school right after, right after I graduated undergrad. And at that point, I had been experiencing 
some, I guess you could say like health, like food related issues, Mm -hmm. although I didn't know it was food at the time. Um, All I knew was that I was having these really sudden drops in my blood sugar. So I would be running, everything would be fine. I would have eaten, you know, more than enough beforehand. Um, And then all of a sudden my blood sugar would just plummet and I would like lose consciousness for a few seconds or I would just totally, you know, be unable to finish my workouts. Um, And it was really bizarre because at first my doctors were like, well, you might just be like imagining it. Maybe you're freaking out and that's causing you to have, you know, these symptoms. But then I was testing it with one of those prickers And my blood sugar was really low, and no one could really figure out what was going on. But then my doctors were using that information to help them understand better why I was having all of these stress fractures and um, injuries that were very much related to, like, nutrient absorption. Right. That didn't really make sense because I'm healthy and because Mm -hmm. I – eat a variety of nutrients and, you know, have all the food groups in my diet. It just wasn't making any sense. And so where I was when I moved to Illinois was I didn't know why I was having these drops in my blood sugar or why I got sick a lot, but I knew some of the things I could do to make it better. So I was um, supplementing with like different gels and goos and Um, that was helping a little bit. And then I got a new doctor as you do when you move to a new place and they decided to test me for celiacs because that was something that hadn't been done yet. And even though I was like, well, I don't think I have celiacs because my symptoms, I don't know. I just always thought about celiacs as being like, you are like violently sick whenever you eat gluten. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that that's not exactly what it is, especially if it's become your norm to feel bad, which is what had happened to me. Um, So I just assumed that the way that I digested food was normal. Far from it, but that's what I thought. So I went through the testing, um, did the blood, the colonoscopy, and the results came back as me having celiacs. And so I was really pumped about that, started (laughs) training, heavily again because I was feeling better, Um, ran a half marathon, loved it, felt really strong, and decided I really want to start training for a marathon. Um, And it just has sort of been a crazy ride ever since. Um, And I initially thought that some of that was just my body getting used to the mileage and the the mileage and yeah and then um you know as the listeners know I was an egg donor Mm -hmm. back in the fall and I don't really know what how much of an impact that had on like my immune system and my body but that definitely threw a wrench into things that we were not anticipating yeah it was a little bit more impactful Mm mm-hmm on your health than we thought. Right. And I think some of that is hormones. So, um, you know, there's really not a lot of research out there that goes into depth about the way that 
hormonal imbalances or balances impact women who are training at like a very high level. So, I mean, I'm not an elite runner, but I was training at a level that the, the normal population no. doesn't even get close to. Yeah, that. and there yeah, and there was no like no information to guide how this procedure was going to impact my training. And based on what I was told and the research that I did, I was like, okay, well, you know, it might impact it a little bit. It'll definitely take me out for a few days, but it shouldn't impact my ability to actually complete this marathon. It did. And then from probably December on, I have just been sick, like over and over and over again. Up and down, up and down. Up and down, up and down. Um, And it's always really general like I'll be like oh like my body feels kind of achy I have a fever I have a fever some some days my throat hurts some days my head hurts um the biggest symptom was just the fever I always had this fever and fatigue um and so I was back and forth between you know the doctor's office and um also there was all these crazy flus going around so there that could have been it but bottom line was that I have basically been sick since December yeah. with these brief periods of health. Um, and I would say like you would get sick and then you'd have a yeah. decent amount of like healthy time. But now the you being sick is becoming more frequent. Right. Now. And I did have a period of time where I was really like doing much better. Yeah. And that was really exciting. So I was feeling better. I wasn't sick. I wasn't running a fever. And all of a sudden, my training just was in an upswing. And I was feeling really good. I was feeling really strong. Um, I was feeling like fast again, like myself, like I did a, um, a five by mile VO2 workout. And it was the best, you know, mile repeat workout I've ever run. Really good shape. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And so that was sort of like, oh, okay. So, you know, maybe I just have been sick, but underneath the sick is fitness. Right. And so that was cool. And then I can't remember when it was exactly, but I got sick again and then it's just been. Well, it's just been the last couple of times where you've had a fever that lasted a really long time, Mm -hmm. like for a week. Right. And so I finally went into the doctor and they, I said to them, okay, like, I know that this isn't normal. Oh, I need to, okay. So here's what ended up happening. This is good because it's helping me to get the timeline chronologically in my mind too. So what ended up happening was I had an unusual amount of blood when I went to the bathroom and I wasn't on my period. So we'll just leave it at that. And, um, I was immediately like, this is not normal and I probably should first call my mom because that's what. That's who you call first. Yeah. So I called my mom and she was like, yeah, no, that's not normal. Um, oh, and then I took a picture of it, of course, cause right. you know, documentation. And then, um, I called my, my doctor's office and said, this just happened to me. I have celiacs. And I don't know if I should be concerned. And they were like, yes, you should. That's not normal. So got an appointment, went in, went over everything with my doctor and then said, okay, so I'm here for this bleeding, but I also am concerned because I've been really sick basically since December. And I 
seem to not be able to go longer than three weeks without getting sick again and running a fever. And the doctor was like, yeah, no, that's also not normal. Let's figure this out. And they did, you know, like a full lab workup. So a urine analysis and a blood blood work analysis, um, which is kind of basically where we're at now because those labs indicated that there's just something going on with me, um, which was validating in a sense because I had been kind of just trying to tough it out. Honestly, like I just was like, you know, my immune system's never been awesome, but I'm used to that and it's been a hard winter and I just need to work on, you know, all the little things like sleep and nutrition. But I, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing those things to the extent that I can. I mean, of course it could be better, but it was validating. Yeah. It was validating because she basically made me feel like even if your sleep and nutrition was on par or even like regardless of what your sleep and nutrition looks like, your levels are indicating that there's a problem. And so that was validating because it made me feel like, okay, I'm not just, I don't know. You're not causing your own problems. Right. And like there is something that could maybe be fixed that then I could feel like a normal, normal for, like I expect to not feel awesome because I'm in grad school and I'm trying to do all of these different things. Right. I don't expect to feel amazing. Um, but I also am glad to know that I don't also have to expect to be chronically sick. So right now we're just kind of in the process of figuring out what is going on. And it's difficult because I have a diagnosed autoimmune disease, but they are not sure why I'm experiencing some of these other symptoms. And my urine analysis showed that there was something going on with my kidneys. And then further doctor's appointments have shown that there's something going on with the way that I process nutrients and subsequently like my electrolyte balances. And so the end goal is just to figure out why is this happening? Where is the deficit or the thing that's going wrong in my body? Maybe what's the, you know, autoimmune diagnosis that I haven't received? Is there Mm -hmm. something more going on? Um, The doctor told me that it's possible that it's Crohn's as opposed to celiacs, which is, from what I understand, you can have a misdiagnosis or you can have a, you can have both. You can have celiacs and you can also have Crohn's, um, which would explain the blood. Um, But, I mean, the honest truth is that I don't know yet what's going on with me. You don't know yet what's going on with me. So we're kind of in just a weird place. What are your thoughts on it as my coach? Well, I mean, right now we're just kind of, you're running what you can when you feel good. Mm-hmm. Some days we don't run because we don't necessarily feel good. Or if we start to run and it doesn't feel great, then we, you know, cut it short. Or there's, But then it's, we also have good days too. Mm-hmm. So days where you feel really good when you run. So mm-hmm. that's just the struggle. It's just the up and down of, you know, how good you're going to feel on that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, should we run? Should we do something else? Should we not be running at all? <laughs> should we not be moving at all? Should we not be moving? Should we be stuck to the, the new recliner? <laughs> yeah. So I think where we're at is, or I know at least where I'm at, is I've kind of turned a corner in my thinking about my running right now. And 
I had an epiphany. Blah, 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 blah. An epiphany yeah, moment. That's how you say that word. Epiphany. Where I was like, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I really doing this? And I'm stubborn. There's no denying it. And I'm also motivated. Yeah. And I'm also really motivated and I love running. Right. And I know how much I love running, especially when I feel, when I'm feeling good. And I think I was feeling really frustrated because I was putting in the work and sometimes I was seeing the results, you know, Mm -hmm. those periods of health, I was seeing like, okay, like I really am benefiting from this. But then I would get sick and it would feel like I was just banging my head against a wall, basically. Um, And I guess I finally have reached a point, especially after that, those results came back, where I'm like, okay, I mean, what am I really trying to prove or do here? Am I, like, how... Do I really think that it's a good idea for me to run myself into the ground trying to complete this marathon? Is that really a good idea or should I just allow my body to heal, figure out what's going wrong with me and then then take it from there? Yeah. Because I think we both know that I I'll be able to do it at some point. It's just my body is just not happy with me right now. Right, adjust the priorities a little bit. Right, and sometimes I think it's not necessarily about toughing it out. I think as much as us runners want to believe that, or we want to follow that model because we see it all the time, you know, we see these situations in which people tough it out and achieve these incredible things even when they're going through something health-wise. I think that for me considering that I am not a professional runner. This is not my job. Right. And that I have no clue yet what my diagnosis is. Does it really make sense to run this marathon just because I need to prove to myself that I can do it? And does it make more sense to take a step back and understand that, yes, I can run a marathon. I mean, we know I can. Yeah, <laughs> I've done 22-mile runs, and right. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could run a marathon. And realize that the experience is going to go so much better for me when I'm healthy. Right. And I'm still on the fence about that, to be completely honest. Because right. I think there's still a part of me that's like, you know what? Maybe I'll be able to run it right. on the day that it's on. But I don't know. And I guess... This is not really the best update because it's not conclusive, but it's kind of where where I'm at. Right. Just every day, playing it by ear. How do you feel? What's going to be best for you on that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's drawing close. Um, and I really haven't had a long... Well, I did a little bit of a long run last weekend. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. Um, I think going forward, the goal... And the focus is to figure out what in my body is not working the way that it should and fixing and addressing that with every intention of moving forward with training as planned. And it's like trying to race a car with a flat tire. Yeah, that's a good analogy. You got to fix the tire first. Right. Yeah, exactly. And my doctor was like, why are you, I can't remember her exact wording, but she was basically just like, why are you forcing yourself to do this thing that 
is supposed to feel good and you're almost making it miserable for yourself. Like, don't, like, ruin it for yourself. And I don't want to ruin running. No. (laughs) I also don't want to ruin my desire to run, which is how it's kind of starting to feel. Right. You know? And that's kind of what we've talked about. Like, I've had a few runs where I've been like, this, that was awful. And you come in, you come back in a worse mood or worse, (laughs) you know, feeling than when you left instead of having it be a positive Mm -hmm. thing, positive activity. Yeah. And I just recorded an episode with um, Stephanie Violet, who will be releasing that episode next Friday. And she was talking about how she had a period of time where she was trying to cross-train. She had an injury, and she was just trying to cross-train and stay relevant and stay in the game. And then she got a stress fracture from cross-training. And she was just like, okay, like, what the heck am I doing to myself? And she said that it was so hard, but it was also a huge opportunity for growth because she just was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to cross-train. I'm going to just rest. I'm going to let my body rest. And... I know that it's going to be difficult, but I am not going to be the crazy person who is trying to make something happen that my body just doesn't want to do. Um, And so she had like, I think it was like five months where she did not do anything. And she said that it, it was really difficult because she had grown so accustomed to having activity and movement as a part of her day that at first she felt like, who am I without this? Like, what is my purpose? What can I even do to fill that void? Because activity and running, it kind of becomes like spiritual and cathartic and therapeutic. And um, so she had to figure out the things that make her her without running, which was this huge opportunity for growth. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm going to just like, stop exercising that's not where I'm at I don't have an injury that's like barring my exercise but I also think that her overall message was that sometimes it's okay to just recover and say my body can't do this right now exactly and you remember when we first met that I had taken how many months I, I don't I was seven months really it was no five six seven months where you know, my T band issues, like I couldn't even jog down the block. Wait, it had been that long that you yeah, weren't running? It was a long time. And so. Oh, I didn't even know that it was that long. Yeah, it was a long time. Because, but then. Um, didn't you do your first run back with me? Uh, my first run back of longer than maybe a half a mile. Yes. We ran four miles. Yeah. I had to get past <laughs> my scare of my knees hurting to impress this lady. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? If my knees hurt, I'm not even going to tell her. I'm just going to, you know, I got to push through these miles so I don't look like a wimp. Aww. But it didn't hurt. And we ran kind of fast. Yeah, you were you were pressing the pace a little bit, but um, we got I got through it. Yeah. And then and then he won me over by coming and doing workouts with me at 5:30 in the morning. And then now, if you ask me to run at 5:30 in the morning, <laughs> no way. Or 5:30 at night. No way. Yeah. I'll sit this one out. But, but yeah, no, yeah. that's true. But, yeah, but I was, it was really hard for me to take that time off because I'm very stubborn. Mm-hmm. And I don't – I would take a week off and then I'd feel good for two days and then it would hurt again. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So, but yeah, I ended up taking, you know, in, in that six or seven months, you know, I would run for, be able to run for maybe a week and then it would, but as far as consistently running, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was a good chunk of time. But, right. And yeah, eventually you probably just got to a point where you were like, what, why am I doing this? If it's not healed, what am I doing? Right. I was like, I just need to shut down, com- let it completely heal, do all some, a lot of, you know, preventative therapy for, for you know, to make sure it doesn't happen when I do come back Mm -hmm. and then um you know I haven't had issues with that since but yeah so you know I just we're both kind of stubborn and yeah but you've been great as a coach and helping me to feel better about it all it's just it's just a bummer when you have the motivation but not the ability in the right. sense that your body is just not letting you do what you know you can. Exactly. And I think we both have big goals for my running. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's difficult, I think, for us both. How, like, what is that like for you? You know, because I know that you believe in me, which is awesome. Yeah. But what has that been like for you to be like, okay, like, how do I manage this? Right. So, I mean, the biggest struggle right now is, you know, like you said, you know, trying to fit you when you yourself are trying to figure out, okay, is this something I should just push through? Is this something that, um, you know, maybe I do need to take a break from? And then from my perspective, you know, I'm thinking the same thing. You know, is this something that, you know, as an athlete, we all give in to things that, you know, at the end of a workout, okay, maybe I just, I'll cut one of these reps off mm-hmm. or, and finding that point where it's like, okay, do I, help motivate her to push through this today or is it a day where I motivate her to shut it down right I tell her no let's just stop and find that balance of uh, trying to keep trying to help keep you motivated but also um, help keep you healthy at the same time Mm -hmm. so it's it's tough but we work through it together and we talk about it so yeah and I think it's always important that I remember that I still have many running years ahead of me yes it's not as if you know I'm it doesn't have to be accomplished right now no yeah and in fact for marathoning I'm really young um so it's not the end of the world it's just hard to think that sometimes when you're in the middle of it yeah and, I mean, it's been a long time since I've even had a race that I've been proud of. Right. But so, so, step one, get healthy. Step two, get fast. Again. Again. <laughs> again. Um, we're starting to ramble. I know. So. Um, shut it down. Yeah, we're going to shut this party <gasps> down. Thank you. Uh Kate for coming on to the Chasing Bravery podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs>